Alright, welcome back. Uh, today, continuing discussion of Sutta Nipata. We're on Sutta number 10, the first link, uh, Alavaka Sutta. And this is the second of what I think are three suttas in the 71 suttas of uh, Sutta Nipata portion of the Tripitaka or the Pali Canon. The second of the third of the three, I believe, that that um, are based on dialogues between Gautama and a yaka, or yaksha, or nature spirit, what mid lower astral entity, um, that <clears throat> seems to be devic, devic in the sense of uh, the Western Theosophical usage, being akin to the Islamic usage of the term jinn as um, a creation of the Logos that, uh, what, doesn't have free will? Well, here in this case, there does seem to be some free will. Uh, I am not an expert on the Devas or the Devic kingdom or lineage or uh, Logoic creations that assist evolution in seven-dimensional levels. Uh, this certainly, as we saw last time with Hemavata Sutta, number nine, uh, Hemavata was a yaka, yaksha um, from the regions of Himalaya and living in northern India, kind of transiting between uh, <clears throat> living in, in the Himalayas and coming and going from the portions of India uh, 2,500 years ago where Gautama was uh, doing teaching. So Hema or Hima goes back to Himalaya, Vata, related to air, so an air yaksha of the Hima region. Here, Alavaka uh, <clears throat> is one of his colleagues, and the quick write-up from Tanasaro on the basic page, the first link, uh, Alavaka Sutta, discourse to Alavaka, or to Alavaka, the Alavaka Yaka. Alavaka was a place, and I'm going to explain that. It's actually Alava, Alavi. <clears throat> a yaka, yaksha, challenges the Buddha with riddles and threatens to beat him up. <laughs> and so we see that some of them are not so pleasant. They're unruly, thuggish characters. Uh, different in this case, or this being thuggish, versus last week, uh, Hemavata was a friendly fellow. So the second link from wisdomlib.org is, I believe, a Tibetan organization that has an excellent, excellent um, library uh, of, maybe it's not, it's, it's different, I guess it's Wisdom Library. There, there's a Wisdom Publications, I think is a Tibetan organization. This is maybe um, not associated with them particularly. Uh, a long write-up on uh, Alavaka Sutta, which is associated with the Yaka Alavaka, also called Alavika. And so then you have Alavaka Sutta, Alavika Sutta, and the two names, uh, Alavika Alavaka for the Yaksha. And down the page, number two, the second link, explaining Alavaka, this glossary entry. Uh, so Alavaka, written here as the king of Alavi, so Alavi is a region, the king um, was the Alavaka king, or the, the king of Alavi region. 
he was in the habit of holding a hunt once in seven days to keep his army in trim or fit. One day when he was hunting, the quarry escaped from where the king lay in wait and, according to custom, it became the king's duty to capture it, whatever they were hunting. He, therefore, followed the animal for three leagues, killed it, and, having cut it in half, carried it on a pingo. Pingo is the <laughs> carrying method of a pole uh, upon horizontal on the shoulders with two uh, ropes uh, carrying or buckets on the side on each of the ends of the pole carrying in balance some material. So he cut the animal in half, carries it on his shoulders. On his way back, he happened to pass under the banyan tree, which was the abode of the Yaka Alavaka, the Yaksha who lived there. The Yaka had been granted a boon by the Yaka king, meaning the king of the Yakas. He was a lesser Yaka, which allowed him to eat anybody who came within the shadow of the tree. Accordingly, he seized the king, but later released him on obtaining his promise that he would provide him, meaning Alavaka Yaka, at regular intervals with a human being and a bowl of food. So that was kind of a rough situation. And um, there are haunted places. There are uh, places in the world that are that wild. And um, one humans should just simply not go. There are lots of disappearances in forested regions. So going on, King Alavaka, with the help of the mayor of the town, whose name is Nagaragutika, and his ministers, this is a story, true or false, you can consider yourself. The king, with the help of the mayor, was able to help was able to keep his promise for some time by sending criminals to the Yaka to be eaten. The Yaka's power was such that at the sight of him, men's bodies became soft as butter, meaning it was terrible to behold, terrifying. Soon there were no criminals left, and each household was forced to contribute one child for sacrifice to the Yaka. And so this was uh, true, or, true or false, uh, literal or figurative, we don't know. Then women, about to bring forth children, began to leave the king's capital, meaning that area of Alavi. Twelve years passed in this manner, and the only child left was the king's own son, uh, Alavaka Kumara. When the king learned this, he ordered the child to be dressed in all splendor and taken to the Yaka, I guess what, to be eaten? The Buddha, with his eye of compassion, saw what was going to happen and went to the Yaka's abode first. Alavaka was away at a meeting of the Yaka's in Himava, that's also Himalayas. His doorkeeper, Gadraba, admitted the Buddha after warning him of the Yaka's unmannerly nature, meaning his uh, aggression. The Buddha went in and sat down on the Alavaka's throne, meaning, I guess, the tree, while Gadraba went to Himava to announce to his master the Buddha's arrival. While the Buddha was there, preaching to Alavaka's women folk, the Yaka's Satagira and Hemavata from the last sutta, passing through the air on their way to the assembly in Himava, so this is the backstory, uh, being made aware of the Buddha's presence by their inability to fly over him, descended to Alavaka's palace, meaning um, the, that portion of the forest, and made obeisance to the Buddha before resuming their journey, and that's where we have the last sutta uh, discussion to Hemavaka. Finally, when Alavaka, the Yaksha, 
heard from Gadrava and from Satagira and Hemavata of the Buddha's visit. He was greatly incensed. He's an anger type fellow. And uttering aloud his name, he hurried to his abode back in Alavi. There with all the super all there with all the various supernatural powers he could command, he tried to dislodge the Buddha from his seat. But without success, even his special weapon, the Dusavuddha, being of no avail against the Buddha. Then, approaching the Buddha, Alavaka asked him to leave his house, which the Buddha did. He then summoned the Buddha back, and he came. And so that's the write-up, the background. Uh, we'll see that kind of come here, go there, come here, go there, come in, go out at the beginning of the sutta. <clears throat> uh, from last week, the Hemavata Sutta to the other Yaka, who was more friendly, and uh, I guess had presumably this discourse with Gautama prior to going to uh, Himava or the Himalayan assembly of the Yakshas, uh, asked all these various questions about clinging and how the world is afflicted and what's the way out. Very similar to, um, as I said, the basis of um, topics um, addressed by the Four Noble Truths. Four Noble Truths being the <clears throat> um, nature of suffering or dissatisfactoriness, the truth of Dukkha, which is really um, the answer to Yaka uh, Hemavata's first question, which was uh, one of the first question to the to Gautama, which is that clinging where the world is afflicted? This is coming from uh, Tanisaro's translation. <clears throat> uh, his first questions: In what has the world arisen? In what does it make acquaintance? From clinging to what is the world, meaning what's going on in the world um, and how has it become this way? And these are the basically, as far as I can see, the first two noble truths. <clears throat> the truth of dukkha, or the condition of unenlightened mind experience. The experience of us, or all beings in the octave, being associated with dukkha. Dukkha doesn't mean uh, misery, pain, suffering, actually. A better translation, I think, is dissatisfactoriness. The dissatisfactoriness that comes from clinging to uh, phenomena and attachments and experience while uh, we experience all phenomena, inner and outer, as impermanent and insubstantial, anicca So based on the reality of anicca impermanence, ever-changeableness, and insubstantiality, no-self, emptiness, sunya, Based on anicca we, not fully enlightened, uh, experience dukkha continually. Continual. It, it may be sukha dukkha, as I said, meaning pleasure, happiness, joy, love, bliss, ecstasy. All of those are obviously quite pleasurable, but they're impermanent, and they're ultimately insubstantial. And therefore, the taste uh, in mind, the, the aftertaste is dukkha. And if you really get into the momentary experience itself um, with a profoundly silent mind or seven-ray activation, stillness, deep stillness of mind, even experiencing in the moment what ordinarily is felt as pleasure, happiness, joy, love, bliss, ecstasy, even then, if the mind insight is very 
clear and the mind is very, very still, one will see dukkha there too, even in the moment, not only by aftertaste. So, <clears throat> uh, what, what, how has the world arisen? What's it acquainted with? And what's its clinging by which it's, effect, it's afflicted? Clinging to what? How is it afflicted? Uh, and then, again, Hemavata uh, addresses question, ask, addresses Gautama with questions associated with the way out. How is one released from suffering and stress? And we see the same kind of thing in Alavaka Sutta, the same type of questions uh, <clears throat> from, from Alavaka, the Yaksha. Now, <clears throat> I want to read both translations, but what I'm going to do is um, read through Tanisaro's translation first, then uh, pull in at the what what are I think are the most pivotal or critical portions of the sutta, the commentary, the translation of Piyadasi Tara, and we'll just bounce between the two in the critical stanzas, giving Gautama's answers, and then I'll do some explanation. So, <clears throat> the first of the, or the third of the links, uh, Alavaka Sutta to the Alavaka Yaksha, Yaka. First is a translator's note, which is very interesting how this was a quite an important sutta in Thailand to, till today. Uh, Tanisaro noted, This discourse is the source of many proverbs frequently quoted in Theravadan countries. In 1982, when Thailand was celebrating the 200th anniversary of the founding of the current dynasty, His Majesty the King structured his chief address to the Thai people around the four qualities mentioned in the Buddha's last verse. That king died a couple of years ago. His name was Bhumibol Adulyadej. Uh, I don't know the meaning of the whole name, but Bhumi is like um, Loka. <clears throat> Bhumi Bol is a realm of Bol, the Bol Bhumi. But he was a really very fine man from everything that I've seen. There's some controversy about his brother's death early, early on. But from what I've seen and talking to Thai people when I was there, everybody loved him. And uh, he has a sweet face or had a sweet face and did a lot for the people in terms of agricultural projects and um, raising standards of living. You know, and that's just the way it is. If the leaders of a of a nation are truly virtuous, I, I don't know if he was, but he seemed to be. If, if the if the leadership is truly virtuous, things get better. <laughs> things get better and better. But then, commonly, even a virtuous leader is undercut by immoral, unvirtuous, selfish, greedy, deceptive, <laughs> service to self uh, underlings. And, um, you know, this world could be a paradise, um, but it ain't. I mean, at least the human culture, the human social world is not. Uh, but this uh, king, Bumibol, was um, a good man from what I've seen. And not many negatives would call forth um, the four virtues of Buddha's um, teaching here in an, in an address to the nation. So... Let me read through this sutta in Tanasaro's translation, then uh, zero in on the essential stanzas of Gautama's teaching. 
and compare with Piyadasi. <clears throat> so, Alavaka Sutta to the Alavaka Yaka from Tanisara Bhikkhu. I have heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying at Alavi in the haunt of the Alavaka Yaka. Then the Alavaka Yaka went to the Blessed One from the Himalayas and on arrival said to him, Get out, contemplative. All right, my friend. Saying that, the Blessed One went out. Come in, contemplative. Saying, All right, my friend. The Blessed One went in. A second time, a third time, the Alavaka Yaka said to the Blessed One, Get out, contemplative. And Gautama replied, All right, my friend. Come in, contemplative. All right, my friend. The Blessed One went in. So it goes out, goes in, goes out, goes in. Then a fourth time, <clears throat> the Alavaka Yaka said to the Blessed One, Get out, contemplative. And Gautama had had enough and said, I won't go out, my friend. Do what you have to do. And the Yaka said, I will ask you a question, contemplative. If you can't answer me, I will possess your mind and rip or rip open your heart or, grabbing you by the feet, hurl you across the Ganges. And Gautama replies, My friend, I see no one in the cosmos with its devas, maras, and brahmas, its contemplatives and brahmins, its royalty and common folk who could possess my mind or rip open my heart or, grabbing me by the feet, hurl me across the Ganges. But, nevertheless, ask me what you wish. <clears throat> and so he's uh, stating his uh, omnipotence uh, uh, and absolute protection against such harm. Alavaka starts with the questioning. What is a person's highest wealth? What, when well-practiced, brings bliss? What is the highest of savors or tastes? Living in what way? is one's life called the best? Gautama replies, Conviction is a person's highest wealth. Dhamma, when well practiced, brings bliss. Truth is the highest of savors. Living with discernment, one's life is called best. And Alavaka, how does one cross over the flood? How cross over the sea? How does one overcome suffering and stress? How is a person purified? Gautama replies, Through conviction. Conviction. One crosses over the flood. Through heedfulness, the sea. Through persistence, one overcomes suffering and stress. Through discernment, a person is purified. And Alavaka keeps questioning, How does one gain discernment? How does one find wealth? How does one attain honor? How bind friends to oneself passing from this world to the next world how does one not grieve Gautama replies convinced of the Arahant's Dhamma for attaining unbinding Nirvana heedful observant one listening well gains discernment doing what's fitting enduring burdens one with initiative finds wealth through truth one attains honor. Giving binds friends to oneself. Endowed with these four qualities, truth, self-control, stamina, relinquishment, a householder of conviction on passing away doesn't grieve. Now, go ask others, common Brahmins and contemplatives, if anything better than truth, self-control, endurance, and relinquishment 
here can be found. <clears throat> and Alavaka gives his final statements saying, How could I ask common Brahmins and contemplatives now that today I understand what benefits the next life? It was truly for my well-being that the awakened one came to stay in Alavi. Today I understand where what is given bears great fruit. I will wander from village to village, town to town, paying homage to the self-awakened one and the true rightness of the Dhamma. So, <clears throat> same kind of thing as uh, Hemavata Sutta. Uh, a yaksha who's just living his uh, yaksha life, um, in this case, uh, eating people, uh, with his um, aggressive, uh, unruly mind, uh, basically threatens Gautama. <clears throat> he didn't threaten to beat him up, he threatened to kill him. And um, he can, uh, he threatens to possess Gautama's mind or rip open his heart or hurl him across the Ganges. And it is it is uh, just a minor point, but relevant sometimes for some people, or some of us sometimes, that negative entities can possess human mind, temporarily or long-term. <clears throat> and so one should be careful. <laughs> what, what opens the um, astral body, or the seven chakra energy fields, to possession control by 3D time-space non-physical entities, demonic possession, commonly called, uh, is immorality, <laughs> is um, uh, <clears throat> distortions of mind associated with doing harm to other, because that's what opens the door to having harm done to oneself, doing harm to other. Not always the case, sometimes a high soul chooses to have harm done as a test harm done to themselves as a testing but in general as far as i know as far as i can see uh in general or nearly always um harm coming in inbound is the result of a previous harm on the outbound or having been done by that person to others then there's also harm coming from others or from spirit non-physical entities as associated with very strong patterns of self-punishment, self-blame, self-criticism, suicidal thought, drug use, alcohol use, any kind of self-harming in body, speech, and mind, uh, thought, or word, or physical action, any self-harming, also opens the door to negative entities um, doing harm to the self. So this is important. Gautama basically says, you you can say you can you you threaten these things, but I know nobody can do that to me, and that is again an indication. I you know I believe it <laughs> that one can get to the point where one is um, beyond uh, vulnerability, <clears throat> and uh, I think we see that even more fully in the life of Nityananda versus Gautama, where Gautama let himself be attacked by Devadatta, or presumably. Who knows? I don't know. They're, these guys are all above me. Uh, but got a thorn in his toe or has suffered some attack from Devadatta um, and even ate um, tainted or um, toxic food at the end as a means of dying, uh, knowing that that was what was going to happen. You can say that those were teaching events. You can say that he didn't know what he's doing, whatever, all sorts of op opinions. But 
um, there are <clears throat> one can certainly be free uh, of vulnerability to um, multi-dimensional threat absolutely so uh, again we see questions regarding um, the purpose of uh, the, the, the nature of creation how they came to be and particularly <clears throat> the um, basis of human experience of distress or suffering or dukkha uh, and and the answers here um, which is a very critical a critical principle uh, in understanding Buddhism is Buddhism is a profoundly moral teaching Buddhism is profoundly focused on morality uh, Sila then Samadhi and Prajna it's a uh, you know the cosmological the cosmologicals of Buddhism talking about 31 planes talking about devas and asuras talking about rebirth principles of, of karmic rebirth and higher dimensional life in my view they're to completely secondary to um, the basic moral teachings of sila that are the basis for samadhi and prajna or samadhi meditative uh, development and then liberation release knowledge and vision of release which means getting out of the octave but particularly before one gets out of the octave it's uh, securing higher dimensional rebirth uh, this is not different in my view at all from what Jesus Yeshua was saying about freedom from death or having one's name inscribed in the book of life uh, the New Testament being um, those that no longer need to reincarnate in third density or harvestability to fourth and that is a freedom from death because one that the soul that go that graduates to fourth density or fourth density beings and up on the positive side need never reincarnate in third density ever again they may come back as wanderers if they wish to accelerate evolution or do world service planetary service but it need not be and therefore it's a permanent freedom from physical death it's not the end of existence it's not the end of incarnation it's the end of incarnation in third density it's not the end of rebirth it's the end of physical incarnate incarnation in the flesh of the 3d body here or in any 3d realm it's a very big deal and so um, but Buddhism um, really um, is founded on uh, very solid and uncompromising moral principles and one can compare that to new age movement which is very much of spiritual materialism let's have the pleasure and thrill of communicating with higher dimensional beings to do what to get their information about what about curios of higher dimensional groups what they eat and their technologies some people like that or how things are on the Pleiades okay but any positive <laughs> group fourth or fifth or sixth density really actually won't go into depth about the trivial transient matters of their life that's not what service is that's they understand that's not really important and so 
the octave can be seen as an ashram, the ashram of the octave, in which we have grades of disciples, where the first level of mastery could be called sixth density or atman or higher self. <clears throat> That's the the master of the temple, the temple of the octave. And the various grades of disciples or students in the ashram or the sangha of the ashram under partial direction, partially under direction of the master or masters of the temple being atman, sixth density, those grades are third, fourth, fifth, sixth density beings. And senior students are five and six, and the early students are three and four. The pledged disciples begin in fourth density. The aspirants are in third density. Third density souls that are native are aspirants to uh, transformation. If they are successful by their own effort, they will graduate into the condition of the novitiate of the junior disciples in fourth density positive. <clears throat> Continuing up, they become senior students in fifth and sixth density and achieve some relative mastery of sixth dimensional life in late sixth density as higher self. But even the master of the temple has his or her, at that point gender is, useless, gender is gone, of course, and late sixth density, but that being has its teachers too, which are seventh density, but particularly through seven to eight. Seventh density is the, is the halo through which Atman communicates with the Logos. So the, the halo of light of Atman in late sixth density as the shuttle or the gateway to intelligent infinity for the sixth density entity, higher self, masters of the temple, who are not finished at all to get communication with their teacher in eighth density, teachers, their guardian, higher, um, higher um, guidance uh, beyond the octave. And so, uh, <clears throat> while the New Age may be focusing on uh, what... Uh, channeling, making oneself a channel for higher dimensional entities to do what? To give you teaching. About what? About evolution. About soul evolution. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, the basis of soul evolution is to prepare oneself for joining, uh, being a <laughs> uh, pledged disciple or um, a member of the Sangha in good standing in fourth density positive, a member, a junior member of the Confederation. Now, many of the New Age folks are wanderers, and so they don't even know. They think they're 3D souls, or they're not sure, maybe. Uh, and they want to kind of get high, or reconnect with home, or ease the loneliness and the angst of being in this in Saha world, this world of dust and shadow, <clears throat> uh, and then get caught up in spiritual materialism. But aside from that... Um, somewhat confused venture. Uh, Buddhism, I think, stands alone as a metaphysical, a, a metaphysical self-training based in morality or a profoundly moral self-training um, with no ceiling, uh, being deeply metaphysical. 
so profoundly and solidly moral and um, limitlessly metaphysical spiritual. Magical powers are well understood, higher dimensional life, reincarnation and um, past lives and powers of mind and um, a universe full of beings and eternal, you know, relatively eternal life is well appreciated in Buddhism. The teachers are, the, the real teachers, you know, the ones that generally don't come to the West. In Buddhism, same as with, uh, you know, Advaita Vedanta or, you know, Nityananda or Nisargadat or um, Ramana Maharshi and uh, a number of other Hindu gurus as well. Um, profoundly metaphysical, spiritual, paranormal, transcendental, uh, but it's all based in morality. And Buddhism, um, we see its um, its uncompromising moral basis in these suttas, particularly Alavaka and Hemavata. So, um, let's look at Gautama's answers and compare translations. So, Alavaka is asking... Um, about wealth and happiness and taste and how to live the best life. Uh, obviously, this uh, yaka can choose. Obviously, this yaka has some concern about the future or his future life or something like that. And so, what is about wealth and happiness and what tastes the best? And what's the best life? Uh, just that is actually very interesting. I mean, how many people can even think so clearly today in New Age spiritual communities uh, to focus in the focus the questions in on the essentials, to focus essential questions, to focus mind on essential issues and matters. What is what is ultimate happiness and how to get there? That's basically the third and fourth noble truths. Uh, the truth of Nirvana, Nibbana, and the Eightfold Noble Path getting there. Um, isn't that what we want? So, uh, from Tanisaro, we see, Gaut we see Gautama's answer. Conviction is a person's highest wealth. Dhamma, when well practiced, brings bliss. Truth is the highest of savers. And living with discernment, one's life is called best. In Piyadasi's translation, it goes that faith is the wealth here best for man. So faith instead of conviction, not too different. Again, Dhamma well practiced brings happiness. Happiness or bliss, you see they're different, right? So frankly, I think Piyadasi is a little uh, too free in his translation, a little too poetic and flourishing. And um, I don't think that's needed for us anymore. Maybe 100 years ago or 50 years ago, it was appreciated or it was, uh, it was enjoyable for the readers, but not today. I think we, we, we can get beyond um, rhetorical literary flourishing. Truth indeed, all other tastes excels. So truth, the highest of savers. And then uh, Piyadasi, life wisely lived, they say, is best. So to, keep, to bear in mind, 
conviction is faith, faith in Triratna, of course, faith in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, or faith that moral, moral um, morality is essential, harmlessness is essential, right speech, right action, right livelihood is essential to spiritual transformation, to seven-ray development. And that also means um, don't hurt yourself. I mean, I think most of us here are beyond deliberate, beyond the desires to indulge in deliberately hurting anybody. Maybe periodically people, we lash out in anger by speech or thought. Um, but I think more so these days, spiritually oriented people are more likely to hurt themselves by self-punishing thought. Self-punishing thought is very harmful and not useful. So, faith and conviction, not simply faith and conviction in these teachings, though that helps a lot, but faith and conviction in the root principle that um, not hurting you and not hurting me is essential for me. And that's all. For whatever reason we abstain from hurting you or me, the conviction and faith that it's essential is, I'd say, essential. It's essential to realize that um, uh, we can't we can't really open heart and we can't really develop higher powers and higher understanding and deep well-being while we're still aggressing self and other in any way. And that's difficult. <laughs> so, meaning if we have strong desires or lots of desires or we're stuck in a relationship with somebody who likes to hurt us. Mm, maybe one should not be with such a person. Maybe one should cut out from one's life those that seem to be deliberately harmful to us. So, when well-practiced, Dhamma brings bliss or brings happiness. Happiness and bliss are not the same, so um, careful translation is very important, and um, uh, it's really quite mistaken. I mean, Tanasaro says, Dhamma, well-practiced, brings bliss. Is it really bliss, or is it uh, happiness? I don't know. And so, Piyadasi translates that as Dhamma brings happiness um, and I think that's probably more reasonable frankly because bliss I, I reserve the term for uh, meditative metaphysical ecstasy and that's um, not a stable state it's like the peak of the mountain it, the tippy top is um, amazing and ecstatic uh, and it's just of a, of a moment or a very small um, a point of time and space. Truth, the highest savor, the highest taste. And so we get two of these um, responses. Truth, what's translated by Tanasaro, truth is the highest of savors or tastes. Living with discernment, one's life is called best. Uh, discernment and truth. <laughs> Fifth ray, Vishuddhi Maga. Vishuddhi Chakra, Vishuddhi Chakra, Blu-ray, very, very important. Love ain't enough. Green ray love ain't enough. And so, a commitment to discernment, discerning internal and external, seeing clearly my mind and yours, 
this situation. And um, it's sort of wildfire rampant, rampancy, if there's a word, the profligacy of, of people taking opinion as uh, objective fact. My opinion may or may not be uh, representative or reflective of objective fact, but people seem to assume their opinions are objective fact um, nearly always. It's a very rare person who realizes that what I think is simply my opinion and um, probably uh, is deficient and uh, incomplete and partial. And there's much more going on here. You know, people say, well, everything, has a, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, everything happens for countless reasons. Everything happens for multiple reasons and in a... Um, an order in a um, uh, uh, a scale of reasons and causality and causes. Everything happens for multiple reasons within within which some are critical and some are secondary. And so I act this way for multiple reasons and causes. There's the, there's a complex causal basis, multiple reasons. And some of those causes are more potent than others or more strongly effectual of um, this result or this effect or how I am or what's happening today. So past cause, present result, cause and effect. Um, some of those prior causes or seeds are predominant and some are secondary. Discernment shows that. And don't assume that your opinion is correct. It may be. Uh, don't assume it's not correct. People say, uh, oh, I'm so judgmental, I should stop that. Because what? I saw the person come in the room and I didn't like them. I came in, I saw that person and I, what? Felt that they were a liar, liar a cheater, a fraud, a fake, a hypocrite, um, dot, dot, dot. Well, you may be seeing clearly. If you're seeing clearly and you shoot it down because you think you're being judgmental or you are being judgmental and you're seeing clearly, you're going to mm, obscure your clear seeing understanding by, you know, rejecting the the truth, uh, a clear seeing truth along with the emotional distorted uh, judgmentalism blaming that rightly ought to be released or can be. Uh, and yet they're bundled together, clear seeing and judgmental emotional reactivity, perhaps in some cases. But don't assume that your opinion is wrong and don't assume that it's right. <laughs> Look into it. That's discernment. Truth is the highest of savor. And so a commitment to truth uh, develops discernment. A commitment to learning develops discernment. And that's, you know... Uh, unexamined, the unexamined life is not worth living. So the highly, clearly examined, rather not not obsessively, compulsively examined, <laughs> but the wisely, um, appropriately, um, <laughs> peacefully examined life is very much worth living, and that's the basis of green blue indigo feed, feeding green blue indigo, is a commitment to truth via discernment. Uh, not assuming I'm right, not assuming I'm wrong, looking into it and um, being fair. Then crossing over the flood or the sea, uh, and there are currents in the flood. 
<laughs> this is a very interesting. In, Tana, in uh, Piedasi's translation, nicely numbered uh, paragraph or stanza three, uh, Piedasi, how does Alaka's, Alavaka's question? How does how does one the currents cross, crossing the currents? How is ocean's existence crossed? How is one suffering quelled? How is one purified? And notes at the bottom of the page there. Uh, interestingly, um, that's why it's useful to go between translations because uh, they they feed each other. They're very complementary. Uh, Piedasi notes that current, the term current, stands for the Pali word oga, fourfold currents, meaning streams and tendencies in the ocean of samsara or rebirth, or in the field of mind. In the field of mind here is um, noted four particularly strong currents that uh, make it hard to cross to the other side. Sense pleasures, becoming wrong views and ignorance now ignorance we know is only is the 10th fetter and only knocked out at the end of the line uh but there's minor ignorance there's primary and secondary ignorance um where primary ignorance 10th fetter is the basic um belief in substantiality time and space duality uh, apparent subjective identity the belief in subjectivity assumption, the clinging to apparent subjectivity, which is uh, clinging ultimately to the conceit of a separative identity uh, or any identity. (laughs) Identity is per se separative, meaning there's no fashioning of an identity or discovery of identity that is non-dual, meaning it's all dual, meaning uh, any discovery of identity, I am that I am, the self is all, any formulation of that or belief in uh, the conceptual, an apparent conceptual reality of, of some sense of identity is, is essentially separative or dualistic or mayic or um, illusory and false and empty. Because... Um, Self and you know, just listening to some talks from Nisargadat in the uh, Bombay apartment, and um, he basically says, "I don't know anything about God and Brahman. Uh, I just talk to you about myself. But when you find out what self is, you'll find God too. You'll know. Uh, you'll learn about the. You'll 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 get to. You'll you'll know the world, and then you'll know God. All that stuff comes later when you find yourself." which is to find the heart of identity, the true nature of being of, of this one speaking. When you discover that, you'll know God and you'll know world. And he's a great guy, he's smoking his beaties, basically saying, I don't talk to you about God, I don't know anything about God and Brahman, or I didn't, I didn't meet God and Brahman, um, I found myself. And so he's so unapologetically using common language because common language is only common if your mind is common (laughs) if you know that common language is empty it's not common it's common uh, and understood as empty (laughs) and then useful so he said something like 
uh, I just know myself. I'm just talking to you about myself. Myself <laughs> being known as um, infinity, boundlessness, <laughs> transconceptual, and um, impossible to pin down or define. Indefinable, essentially, you know, transconceptual, uh, beyond any fashioned identity, beyond the five skandhas, or beyond any identification, even with consciousness or awareness. That's what I is. That's I found that myself. I found myself, he said. <clears throat> and therefore, uh, then you'll find, then you'll know world and God. A beautiful teaching, I think. Beautiful teaching. You can find them. Talks with Nisargadatta Maharaj. A couple of clips. I've uh, got to find him in, very, in that Bombay apartment where all sorts of chaos is happening outside the window. Of course, that's not chaos, but it looks like chaos to me. He looks like he's eaten a whole lot of pickles. A whole lot of Indian mango pickle. I mean, it just reeks mango pickle, that video. And uh, <laughs> I was in a uh, back alley of uh, Banaras, Varanasi. My, my, my. I went to the, I found the essential pickle shop. The whole place reeks of fenugreek and uh, coriander. Anyway, there's four currents in the field of mind. You know, what, what is the ocean of birth and death one is crossing? It's ultimately the field of mind. It's the field of ignorance in, um, in Vijnana. Uh, mm, avidya, avidya-based Vijnana, meaning essential ignorance-based consciousness. That's the field, that's the stream, that's the ocean of birth and death, actually. And these currents are basically four major um, uh, areas of grasping, of, of craving and clinging. Uh, sense pleasure is obviously keeps us down here in third density. Becoming, I would say, is ultimately changed mental states of experience. Wrong views uh, keep people <laughs> damn stuck, certainly in third density, and ignorance basically is only knocked out at the end. So, okay... Uh, crossing the currents, getting over the ocean, purification of oneself, and again, um, comparing the two translations, uh, Tanisaro saying, by conviction, one crosses the flood, and um, Piedasi's word is faith, so conviction and faith, which is, again, what do you believe is true? You have faith in what? <laughs> you should have faith in something, or you should... We need to believe something is true. What do you believe is true and essential? By diligence, the oceans crossed, or heedfulness, heedfulness, diligence, carefulness. By effort, is one suffering quelled, or persistence? So, we've got... Tanisaro to Piyadasi. Conviction and faith, heedfulness, diligence, persistence, effort, and then discernment wisdom. And that's prajna, panya. So uh, discernment um, is, the, is a manifestation of wisdom and a um, basis of wisdom. I mean, it's wisdom in action, <laughs> discernment. 
um, that leads to purification, because ultimately, uh, it it what is purification, right? That's just another symbolic term. Um, the the elimination of the harmful, the toxic, the pollutant, the pollutants of mind, the distortions, basically harm, and ignorance, craving, clinging. Um, the three poisons are purified purified of the lower triad blockages associated with the three poisons. You know, uh, grasping, aversion, ignorance. Uh, Ultimately, um, by purification, I mean, lower triad for second, third chakras blockage clearance is akin to purification, is a detoxing from attachment to the three poisons of desire, aggression, and uh, dull-mindedness or mental fog, um, that is um, freedom from harm of self and other, essentially. Uh, In terms of discernment, though, there's also the discernment of views and getting beyond the the current uh, of wrong view. And... Um, that's a higher working of fifth ray, actually. But certainly, uh, these four qualities, um, you know, quite important. And so this is spiritual teaching, right? Doesn't sound very, very, um, doesn't sound very exciting. Uh, I don't get a sugar high. Um, There's nothing about some amazing 10-foot-tall beings uh, blessing me with Shaktipat, or some kind of ET communications here. This is um, the nitty-gritty of um, self-development that leads to forever, that leads to uh, ascension or harvestability and um, great well-being in the here and now, too. Great well-being in the here and now, too. How many uh, UFO conferences talk about great well-being in the here and now? Not much, not much. And so, what do you think they're doing, those ETs in their UFOs? <laughs> they're doing Dhamma. They're practicing Dhamma. They're learning to purify self of, you know, the very fine uh, distortions that remain in 4th, 5th, 6th density. Um, and doing world or universal service. Okay, going on. How does one, from uh, more questioning... And this is the last set of the questions of um, Alavaka, the angry Yaksha. How does one gain discernment? How does one find wealth? How does one attain honor? And how does one bind friends to oneself? And then passing from this world to the next does not grieve. Now he's already in the next world, or he's certainly in third density. Do devas ascend dimensions? Is there evolution of the non-free will-based devic kingdom entities of the dimensions? Is that even what we're talking about here? I don't know. <laughs> but um, maybe maybe so. Maybe you can say that there is uh, evolution of entities that don't have free will. How could there be? I don't know. I don't know. A lot of things. So, uh, whatever this is, this class of entity who is a yaka, it seems like he has some free will. It seems like he has um, 
evolution in higher dimensions awaiting him. At least that's how it seems. Uh, how do we get discernment? <laughs> and how do we have wealth and fame and friendship and uh, be okay on the other side? Starting from Piyadasi, again, um, just wisdom, discernment are synonymous. Wealth is understood the same. Honor and fame. And then binding friends or win friendship. And these are uh, particulars of inner outer conditions. Um, it, it is a critical question. How does one gain wisdom? How does one gain discernment? <laughs> and then the outers are what are the karmic bases of wealth, honor, friendship? And then the conclusion is, uh, how am I going to go to the next world without crying? Uh, most people here, like we said in the class, I mean, nearly everybody around uh, the humans around us uh, have a default, unquestioning assumption that you only live once and uh, after there is no afterlife, there is no world beyond, or it doesn't matter. What we see here, certainly the spirit of early Buddhism, I mean, all Buddhist, throughout all Buddhist history, but particularly Theravadan um, times, or, or Pali canon times 2,500 years ago or so, the first 500 years of the dispensation of Buddha Dhamma 2,500 years ago to zero, 2,000 years ago, very concerned with... Um, um, fortuitous or or auspicious rebirth buddhism has very been very concerned from the start with securing favorable rebirth they understand reincarnation it's well known well it's it's a simple it's just you get into the door you can't get into the door without acknowledging uh i is not body i has association to body and that's temporary um, I has temporary association to body and had existence prior to and subsequent to will will have existence life subsequent to the current attachment association to the physical body I existed before I, exi I shall continue and exist afterwards beyond the demise of the physical body and um, this is a phase <laughs> This is a phase of life. Incarnation is a phase of life. It's a stage. Incarnation is a stage of life. Uh, a stage in eternal life. And um, knowing that is critical. Uh, if we don't, it's okay to be, <laughs> to honestly acknowledge, I don't know. But it's, um, it, it's a, one of the, the driving, um, I think, forces in Buddhist formulation of teaching is um, the uh, is a recognition of the primacy the the critical importance of securing favorable rebirth and um, it's not about what you believe it's how you live it's all works and by works one opens to grace not by grace alone is one saved, nor by mouth profession of belief. Mouth profession of belief is 
irrelevant. Um, it's the way you live in mind and speech and physical behavior that leads to salvation. Save yourself <laughs> is the key here. So, um, this final stanza, how do you gain discernment and then how are these worldly uh, successes of wealth, fame, friendship uh, achieved? And then finally, what about the next life? And um, how does one without sorrow fare when from this world to another he's gone? A kind of very block, clunky translation of Piyadasi. And so uh, Gautama gives the final teachings here. And so number one really is back to faith and conviction. Convinced of the Arahant, I'm going from both translations, convinced of the Arahant's Dhamma for attaining unbinding. So, faith in the teaching of um, true Buddhism, the Satdhamma, you know, right view, um, seeking to develop right view or clear view of Buddha Dhamma uh, that is of the Eightfold Noble Path, seeking or leading to complete and perfect awakening, unbinding. And the idea is that reincarnation in the octave is a binding. And the goal is an unbinding, which is a blowing out of the flame, the flame of becoming, and the ending of clinging to sense pleasures and views and the sense of self uh, and craving for sense pleasure or craving for becoming or changed experience or craving for non-becoming or formlessness or, you know, what appears to be non-existence. All those forms of worldly and transcendental craving and clinging and wrong views and limited mind process, all that's been dispensed with. Um, and um, that's all associated with unbinding. And so with some faith in essential spiritual teaching, and particularly Buddha Dhamma, uh, heedful, observant, um, his will to hear that Dhamma wins the wisdom of Nibbana. Uh, I must say, Piyadasi's translation seems outdated. Um, one listening well gains discernment. <laughs> I've made this point before. You want discernment? Learn to listen well. You want discernment? Learn to listen well. Really, really. <laughs> you want Blu-ray? Uh, blue ray that includes green ray, wisdom, knowing that includes love and honesty, or love and care and kindness. Uh, listen well. Learn to listen well. Practice and discipline the mind to listen well. You know? Truth is understood um, by, the, by a silence of mind or a stillness in mind that can perceive the contours uh, of statement the contours of statements um, brings comprehension. That sort of assessment or, or capacity, it's a strange way of putting it, I know, to see the, the, the sharp edges of concept or to see the sharp edges of what we're looking at in terms of its significance, um, to see into the meaning of what we're, what 
what the light of mind or the light of awareness projects upon. It's the direction of attention, a careful direction of attention, a careful holding steady of attention directed to seeing perceives the contours of truth um, that may be conceptualized, the conceptualizable contours of reality. Uh, this is associated with discernment. It requires a quiet mind, and a quiet mind requires morality. <laughs> There's no quiet mind for, uh, you know, no rest for the wicked. No rest for the wicked means no samadhi for the immoral. <laughs> There's no peace for the care cremated, for those who've cremated their care. There's no peace, no happiness, no stillness, no clarity that goes beyond uh, strategizing. There's no higher dimensional perceiving. There's only horizontal perceiving. One eye blind to gel. Likewise, when we're trapped in lower triad blockage, um, heart is blocked to some degree, wisdom fifth ray is blocked to some degree, and one can't perceive the truth that shines um, from that which uh, the light of attention perceives. The light of attention focused here or there um, needs a quiet mind and, uh, and a peaceful heart to um, see clearly. Listening well gains discernment. Receptivity, fourth ray. Least listening is um, is uh, an expression of love in mind. The capacity to listen is my mental receptivity. Obviously, mental receptivity is um, mind love, <laughs> mind lovingness. Chitta metta, chitta metta. What's chitta metta? Chitta um, being mind. Activity, I translate it, mental contents, mental process, mental systemic activity. Um, heartful mental activity is receptive mind that can listen, that gains discernment naturally. Mm, that's uh, clear-eyed and open-eared. Then there's behavioral, which is doing what's fitting, enduring burdens, one with initiative finds wealth, and so uh, through truth one attains honor. So we're talking about wealth and honor and friends, um, doing what's good, not what's harmful, <laughs> uh, going through what you got to go through, and uh, keeping the initiative, uh, seeking wealth, if that's what somebody seeks. That's the right way of achieving wealth. Then there's the negative service to self way of finding wealth, which um, leads to more trouble. Then through truth one attains honor, or uh, fame is acquired by truth, being an honest fellow or gal. And then by friendship, by his giving, and so giving, by giving sets us up for receiving, obviously. And that includes friendship. Being a good friend, you want more friends? Be a good friend. You want love? Be loving. <laughs> you don't know? Look into love. What is love? And then here are these four qualities, truth, from Tarasano, truth, self-control, stamina, relinquishment. Uh, stamina is also endurance. And uh, from Piyadasi, we have virtuous, 
uh, truthful, virtuous, firm, and fond of giving. <laughs> Very sweet. Truthful, fifth ray. Virtuous, fourth ray. For firm is um, ultimately um, conviction and faith in, in continuing to seek what's best and let go of what's unhelpful. Seeking for my highest and best, you know, for, the, for my long-term welfare and benefit. Seeking to know and live in accord with what's for my long-term welfare and benefit, which just so happens to be harmless and helpful to others, too. Uh, but ultimately, one shouldn't be afraid of uh, taking good care of oneself, because that's the only way one can know and truly take good care of others. No? <laughs> so put yourself second. Um, may be, uh, you may be hiding the fact that you're in pain, you don't want to go through your pain, and you put others first. It may well be a way of avoiding one's pain and healing, and one isn't in fact doing much for others anyway. You think you're doing a lot because you put them first? In some cases, people like that are fooling themselves, or we fool ourselves, thinking, imagining ourselves selfless when we're really just avoidant of our pain. And overestimating the, the magnitude of the service that we're offering well, while we think we're quite virtuous and selfless. Actually, it's simply that we have a lower standard and we're not really helping them that much anyway. That's a case for some times to be looked at. So the four, the four foundations or the four virtues are truthful, virtuous, firm, fond of giving. By virtue of these four conditions, will one will never in the hereafter grieve. Truth, restraint, charity, forbearance. This is from Piedasi. So truth and honesty, restraint or um, self-control, which really means avoiding in speech and thought, speech and action particularly, what will be harmful to me and you. And that doesn't mean suppression. Restraint is not suppression. Restraint is simply a very deliberate mechanical stopping of speech and, and action, particularly that we know will be harmful to self and other. Ra talked about that, obviously. And so that's not suppression, but it is restraint. Endurance, uh, stamina, <laughs> forbearance, we can say, uh, and generosity giving. And that really covers fifth ray, fourth ray, um, a lower triad or living in the human world, and um, relation to others. And so there, there again, there are a couple of ways of looking at that. Uh, truth, in both cases, is truth. <laughs> truth, truthful, truth, everybody. There's no question about that. Virtue is also understood as self-control. Um, or restraint, but but there's the virtue that that doesn't need self-control and restraint, which is a natural virtue, which is a, a strong attachment to love <laughs> and wisdom, and the strong awareness that harm is bad for me and you, um, and um, and people should um, we we don't interfere with others as well, even so. Anyway, virtue, or virtue which is certainly associated with self-control and restraint, stamina, uh, endurance, persistence, <clears throat> firmness, uh, continuing on with what we know is valuable. 
what what's to my high what I've discerned that's to my highest and best welfare or my long term welfare and benefit, I'll stay with it. I'll long stay with it. I'll long stay with what's good. And then finally, fond of giving or uh, generosity, um, which is also relinquishment. Um, so renunciation and dana, uh, vairagya and dana, vairagya as revulsion or rever- or relinquishment or renunciation, and dana as generosity giving, they go together, and so the more we uh, are centered in essential well-being and have the essentials of well-being of equanimity, the more the mind knows and enjoys equanimity, the more one has what one wants. One has what one needs. One doesn't need much more than equanimity, you know. So, uh, equanimity is also well-being, <laughs> not just um, flatline mind or something. <clears throat> well-being. Anyway, so these are these are um, goals for all of us to continue um, contemplating, and they're essential and valuable. So, um, I hope this. Um, presentation has been useful and uh, we can um, put down or put away our yaksha, thuggishness and aggression and anger uh, and be centered in principles centered in principles is really important so um, next time we're going to go to the 11th of the 12 suttas in the first chapter of Sutta Nipata, which is reflecting on the unattractiveness of the body as a way to gain insight. Um, that practice should be um, handled delicately, actually. So, uh, in any case, um, I hope this was useful. Thank you for being here and listening. Take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.